It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Steve Bannon is back. He is urging President Trump to go all the way against China and the U.S.-China trade talks. Plus, former Vice President Joe Biden, he's in a back and forth with President Trump, this time with North Korea leader Kim Jong-un. He says that President Trump's siding with the North Korean leader is beneath the dignity of the office. All of the latest on the U.S.-China trade talks on a beautiful day here in Washington, D.C. Plus, we've got, you ready for this? Christine Pelosi. Christine Pelosi. She is California Democratic Party Women's Caucus Chair, a DNC Executive Committee member, and, oh yeah, her mom, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. She's going to call in and give us the lay of the land on the Democratic Party. Maddie Dupler's in the House, Senior Fellow at the National Taxpayers Union, former Coalitions Director for the House Republican Conference, and one of the big wig bosses, Alex Wayne, Bloomberg News White House Editor. He's going to stop in as well. I got to say, $50,000 if you win the National Spelling Bee. That goes on at the at the Gaylord. It just got underway. $50,000. What does a kid do with $50,000? Alex Wayne, he is the uh, Bloomberg News White House editor. He's here with us. What would your what would your son do if he won 50 grand winning the <laughs> the spelling bee, Alex? Uh, well, he's only five, so he'd probably buy like every Paw Patrol toy and Lego set <laughs> in existence. Maddie Zuppler's here. She's senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union and former coalitions director for the House Republican Conference. $50,000. I would be that parent where it would go right into a 529 and my kid would never oh, see a dime of it. But then I'd buy candy. <laughs> But then they can maybe afford to go to college and we wouldn't have to fake it for them okay. when the time came. Well, here's a pivot. President Trump was in Japan over the weekend. Did you see this? He went to a sumo wrestling match, right? I mean, that was kind of remarkable. Mm-hmm. Alex, what were your big takeaways from President Trump's trip to Japan with Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe? You know, it was a it was a trip that was really low on on substance. Uh, they they didn't they didn't do much of policy interest or or even like strategic or national interest. Uh, but there was there was smart analysis done on the sort of the the tone of the trip. Uh, the Times had a good story today about how Trump was focused on tweeting about domestic politics the whole time he was over there. Um, you know, we we have noted that uh, on trade 
uh, Trump and Abe seem to be talking about two different things. Trump said something about a trade deal being done by August. Nobody in Japan seems to know what he's talking about. You know, if 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 Trump if if the Trump administration and the Japanese are talking about a trade deal, I don't think Bloomberg has done any reporting on it, which would be very weird. <laughs> and. Okay, I mean, and I hate to say this, Maddie. I mean, to Alex's point, I mean, I was over the weekend, you know, you're trying to track every twist and turn of the trade developments, but truthfully, the big standout was this sumo wrestling match. Did you see the picture of this? This four-foot-tall trophy? (laughs) Like, the trophy's taller than Kev. And it's like he's, he's holding this trophy, President Trump, with this giant sumo wrestler i mean it was it was it was to alex's point i mean it got a lot of laughs but not much substance on i think alex's observation was a good one because i do kind of think this was also one of the first if maybe the only international trip from the president where there wasn't the specter of some big deal or some big geopolitical event hanging over it because of course the administration had removed that a little bit by saying we're not going to do anything on auto tariffs for the next six months or so i mean if if trump had gone to japan and that still had been a question mark in the air, we certainly think would have had a little bit more palace intrigue, a little bit more pushback probably from reporters about the relationship between Abe and Trump. Um, With that kind of being a stalemate, there wasn't a whole lot to talk about. And the president certainly didn't uh, seem inclined to give uh, any any indication that he was having a conversation with Abe to move that ball forward. And he was also asked not just about the U.S. Japanese trade front or the U.S. European trade front. The Europeans don't want auto tariffs anymore than the Japanese do. But he also commented and weighed in on the U.S.-China trade front. Here's President Trump speaking about the U.S.-China negotiations and how they're going. Here's the president. They would like to make a deal. We're not ready to make a deal. And we're taking in tens of billions of dollars of tariffs. Alex, I was struck by this over the last 10 days or so, hearing, I don't want an evolution in how the White House is characterizing this by saying that they might be able to trickle down, trickle down economics, trickle down tariff economics back into some of the farmers. Based upon what everyone's been reporting, I'm not sure the farmers necessarily buy that. Whenever he says we're taking in ten billion billions oh. of dollars worth of tariffs, I always mentally append the words from American citizens <laughs> right. to the end of that sentence. Um, he's he's raising taxes on on Americans. He's raising prices that Americans pay for for goods uh, in order to pursue this uh, this trade war with China. Um, now, if he if he is able to uh, somehow give some of that money uh, back to farmers in a way that doesn't completely wreck uh, agriculture markets, um, he he might very well politically benefit. Um, but uh, but it's uh, <laughs> you know it's. Uh, it's been pointed out by a lot of people that he that he really is not accurately portraying the effect of tariffs. And I'll disagree with Kevin's assessment that this is a pivot. This is a long-held belief by the president that this is how tariffs work. Not acknowledging I'm that a tariff actually, man. He's a tariff <laughs> man. We know that he believes that at his heart. He believes that this is a tax that China is paying that then is going directly into U.S. Treasury coffers that he's then able to redistribute to the masses who are harmed by that economic policy. Now, of course, I think that this work maybe with the first tranche of tariffs uh, beginning last year. Secondly, uh, now that we're going into this next $16 billion tranche for farmers, the problem is that the tariff net continues to get wider and wider. And so the, uh, the impact of it becomes more acute on different industries. Manufacturers, of course, are ones who could find more pain in this le- second round of tariffs uh, versus the first round. And that means that these constituencies, of course, have seen the president give tax dollars to farmers as a bailout. They'll be wanting to know if there's one that's coming for them. So you know what I love about 
congressional recess weeks in the summer. It's very quiet here in Washington, mm-hmm. but there's always someone who sticks around. And today it was uh, Senator Kevin Kramer, the other Kev up on Capitol Hill. Kevin Kramer, he's a senator from North Dakota, Republican. He stuck around, which means every reporter gets to talk to him because us Hill rats and <laughs> clogging the halls of Congress, you need that quote for the story or to talk to someone. He doesn't like tariffs. I mean, so there's another example of a Republican. Who uh, who does in the president's party other than the president? You know, it's a good question. And and I mean, not just the president's party, right? We've how many uh, of us bean counters and green eye, green eye shade wearers have said that this falls squarely on American consumers and businesses. And it's not just the cost of the tariffs that they are trying to undertake, that they have to undertake. It's the cost of the disruption in supply chains. It's the planning for the next six months or year or however long this uh, U.S.-China trade tension is going to last. All of that disrupts American commerce. And it affects the people who are living here and buying products. And here. don't forget about USMCA. And don't forget about that tension last week with the Democrats, the bad reality TV show we watched between Speaker Pelosi. <laughs> no offense, Christine Pelosi, who's going to be calling in the daughter of Speaker Pelosi and a uh, DNC executive committee member. But that back and forth last week. President Trump, by the way, did you hear this? President Trump says he's still willing to work with Democrats on USMCA. Here's the president in Tokyo, Japan. Uh, take a listen to what he said on USMCA. I think that we will work with them. Uh, We have a USMCA. We have a deal with Canada and Mexico that everybody wants. I think it's all done, and I think they probably want to be doing that. Wonder what Speaker Pelosi has to say about that. Coming up, Sumo Cirilli. That's me. I'll stay. Uh, A panel stays Alex Wayne. He is the Bloomberg News White House editor, as well as Maddie Duppler, senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union, who says that she would invest the $50,000. I'm going to hold this against you. (laughs) $50,000 $50,000 if you win the national spelling bee, you would you would have your child invest that. That's fascinating. That's good parenting. It Eddie. could actually pay for college by it the could, time it, she's <laughs> uh, at that age. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You know what I did for the first time today? I rode a scooter. I finally took the plunge and I got the apps and now I am riding scooters, zooming all around town. Maddie Duppler is here with us in studio. She is a senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union and former coalitions director for the House Republican Conference. Maddie, have you ever ridden a scooter? I've ridden them twice, and I will not uh, say what brand I was on when I got one where the brakes didn't work, and that was the last time (laughs) I was on a scooter. I I support them as an endeavor for other folks. Well, it's like a scavenger hunt trying to find where they are in the app. Which I think is great, because I live in a part of D.C. where there's not a ton of transit, and so I love having scooters there. I think that's awesome. Um, But I am now just old enough where I'm very acutely aware of my own mortality, and the scooters seem... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to bring that to the forefront of my mind a little more than I'm comfortable with. Yeah, well, we'll see how long this lasts. But when I come in with a cast on my leg, uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll know what happened. All right, so we're talking politics and uh, policy. I was struck by this back and forth between Biden and Trump over the weekend. Uh, President Donald Trump agrees with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un for the insult of the former vice president. And then Biden's now calling this beneath the dignity of the office. To be on foreign soil, the the vice president says, on Memorial Day, and to side repeatedly with a murderous dictator against a fellow American and former vice president speaks for itself. That's according to Kate Bedingfield, Biden's deputy campaign manager, uh, saying that in a statement. Did you you see this, though? Because, uh, Because President Trump at a news conference said... That Kim made a statement that Joe Biden is a low IQ individual. 
He probably is based on his record. I think I agree with him on that. Wow. And so I agree with Biden's sentiment here, which is that generally politics, you know, domestic politics ends at the shoreline. And when you go abroad, particularly when you're the commander in chief, you try to leave that stuff behind you. But Biden himself has been on an international stage accosting the current administration. So you can you can see exactly where this was going at the get go. But I do think actually a more interesting part of the story, of course, is the fact that President Trump continues to bring up Joe Biden, whether he's here or he's in another country. It's clear that he sees Joe Biden as his number one adversary come this next election cycle. And there's discrepancies from his uh, from the administration, from um, excuse me, from campaign officials saying, you know, let the Democrats run their own nomination process. Don't get involved. It'll be a bloodier battle if you don't put your thumb on the scale. The president, of course, can't seem to help himself uh, tweeting about Biden, talking about Biden. Uh, I don't think that he believes um, that he's doing any harm by elevating Biden. Because remember, the president has learned how to play the politics game in a way that no other uh, orthodox politician has, right? He's been able to make the presidential campaign a spectacle. And there's a reason that he thinks Joe Biden is weak. And one of them is that because Joe Biden is a career politician, He's not a guy who's going to command a 10,000-person audience uh, in some of these states where where Trump is very, very popular. So he thinks that that is a moment of weakness. That's why he wants to keep elevating All right. Christine Barada, our executive producer, tells us that we've got this thought, this soundbite ready of uh, precisely what the president had to say about Joe Biden while on foreign soil uh, in in, uh, Tokyo. Here's president on former Vice President Biden. Take a listen. Kim Jong-un made a statement that Joe Biden is a low IQ individual. He probably is, based on his record. Uh, I think I agree with him on that. I mean, it is it is quite remarkable that, I mean, you can't, Maddie, I mean, what would you do, like, if you were in the House Republican Conference and you were advising <laughs> members on how to respond to mm-hmm. this? I, I mean, what would you say? What would you say to do? I, I think that it always behooves you as a politician, but generally as an American, too, just try to take the higher road. I think that uh, Biden's campaign, of course, waited to respond to this until after Memorial Day, saying that that was a a, a weekend that we should use to honor the uh, the. the but does anybody care? It. I know I'm, I'm not trying to interrupt, but like at this point in 2019, does anybody care anymore? When I, I, Kevin, is- I would say that no one cares, but I think that our, our leaders still have a responsibility to raise the specter and raise the dialogue above the normal expectation. I mean, like, and, it, and it's tough. I get it. If you are running a Democratic or a Republican campaign right now, man, is it tough because I get it that it's really easy to get that soundbite by saying the most inflammatory thing. But I do think there is also this call for leadership in public discourse, which will not go away, Kevin, to your point. The question is whether or not it pays in politics. That remains to be seen. All right. So in one breath, he's criticizing Biden. In the next breath at this press conference, he is he's hopeful that North Korea leader Kim Jong-un will denuclearize. Take a listen to what President Trump said uh, on uh, uh, saying that that Kim Jong-un is a smart man. Uh, President Trump in Tokyo saying that North Korea leader Kim Jong-un is a smart man. Take a listen. I think that he is looking to develop that way. He knows that with nuclear, that's never going to happen. Only bad can happen. He understands that. He is a very smart man. He gets it well. That, that's just what I find, Maddie Dupler, so incredibly illustrative of this current political climate, is that the president has no problem, whether it's Republicans or Democrats, going back and forth, the ping pong, ping mm-hmm. pong, ping mm-hmm. pong, political ping pong, back and forth on a political front. 
of the, the, the reality show element of, of domestic politics. But then when it comes to negotiating on the global stage, I got to be candid here. I think he would much rather deal with global leaders because mm -hmm. then, then <laughs> or at least engage with global leaders because he views them in a way as his as his um, equals to some extent. I and then the rest is just politics. I think it's a lot of that, this kind of notion of a leader to a leader. They're, they're equals in, in some sense. But I also think it's because President Trump really thrives in disruption. And politicians have gotten creative, uh, particularly if you're looking at the 2020 field where there's 20, how many, three, four, five, 25 now running. For the, that's a lot of um, chaotic create, creation, I guess, on, on the terms of democratic scale. But when it comes to mano e mano negotiations, President Trump definitely feels like he has the upper hand because he is the disruptor. So he feels like when he's walking into these discussions with global leaders who have been doing things the same way for years and years and years, and in some senses, decades, he really feels like he has the leverage at that point because he, at any point, it can disrupt. Uh, and he thinks that that really is his leverage in those conversations. Fascinating. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. And joining me in studio is Maddie Duppler. She is the Senior Fellow at the National Taxpayers Union and former Coalitions Director for the House Republicans Conference. Uh, we are talking all things politics and policy. And before the, before the uh, break, we were talking about uh, the President's press conference with regards to <laughs> – we talked about everything from Joe Biden to – um, to 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 North Korea leader Kim Jong Un. He also spoke about Iran uh, and the deteriorating situation going on uh, with Iran. And there's been a lot of questions, uh, Maddie, about Iran. I want to play for you what President Trump had to say about Iran. Here's the president on Iran. I'm not looking that to hurt Iran at all. I'm looking to have Iran say no nuclear weapons. We have enough problems in this world right now with nuclear weapons. No nuclear weapons. Iran. And I think we'll make a deal. So uh, very quickly, uh, uh, you know, the president's facing a lot of pressure, Maddie, mm -hmm. on the situation in Iran. Yeah, and particularly from Republicans themselves, where they think a harder line on Iran is important. The president seemed to take a little bit of a softer step there um, on this world stage, which is always another interesting component of President Trump when you have him in front of an international press corps. Uh, he, again, we, we talked earlier about how he always seems to think he has an upper hand when he's mm -hmm. negotiating mano e mano with these world leaders because he likes to be disruptive. But then he makes news on something that is not necessarily related to the environment that he's in, uh, and folks back home are asking, well, is this a new policy? Is this a new doctrine? Are we going to get a Trump doctrine at some point? I think that question is still out, particularly for uh, people who are, are typically more in line with him on foreign policy. All right, Maddie, stick around, because joining us now on the phone line is Christine Pelosi. She is a California Democratic Party Women's Caucus Chair. She is a DNC Executive Committee member, and her mom just happens to be Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. And Christine, we are thrilled that you are joining us. I 
want to talk to you about the future of the Democratic Party. I mean, I covered this at the White House last week, Christine, the back and forth, the back and forth between your mom and President Trump over the I word. What did you make of all that? Well, it's actually the I word for infrastructure in that it doesn't appear that the Republicans have given the president the money that he wants to make an infrastructure deal. So having not done his homework um, and not having a specific answer to the 35-page plan that the Democrats had brought to him on infrastructure, something he said he wanted to do since two days after the election in November 2016, uh, he then went out and with their pre-printed signs and the pre-printed uh, podium plaque <laughs> um, seemed to be pretty shocked, but not about the Mueller report. It seemed from what he was talking about that what had him upset was actually the Senate Intelligence Committee hearing because that seemed to be the evidence he was um, referring to in his uh, presentation to the press about not doing cover-ups before he took no questions and flounced away. So I got to ask you, as you're watching this and as you're consuming the news, just like the rest of us, and you're watching your mom spar with President Trump, I mean, how do you how do you take it? I mean, uh, when 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 she's going back and forth, and I think her line last week was that she was praying for President Trump. What what did you make of of the political strategy that Speaker Pelosi is is exhibiting? Well, first of all, she does pray. She prays for all of us weekly, she, daily. She's quite devout, so she actually uh, does. Uh, she actually does uh, do that and always does, and obviously for the country, because what we're seeing is a time when we really need people to get some control over the situation over there in the White House. And you know, from covering the White House, yeah. every president, Republican or Democrat, would wish the Congress would just go away and the courts <laughs> would go away unless they're going to validate them. So that's sort of that's sort of uh, there's a sort of baseline there of the president wanting to be the unitary executive and wanting to have uh, no oversight or or uh, checks and balances. But he's taken it to a different place. And that's, I think, really where a lot of people are saying, hey, wait a second. Um, the judges are telling you you can't do whatever you want. Congress has the constitutional right to investigate you. So you can't say that you're not going to do your job unless Congress stops doing theirs. That's not how this works. I was struck by this Facebook video that was manipulated, that was put forth from uh, from the White House about your uh, about Speaker Pelosi uh, and a Facebook executive. Did you see this? A Facebook executive telling CNN that the company wouldn't remove a manipulated video of your mom stating that there's no policy that says content on the social networking website must be accurate. You know, Facebook headquartered in California, your state. You are a California Democratic Party Women's Caucus Chair. Uh, what do you make of how these big tech companies are responding to, to incidents like this? Well, I think they're responding very unevenly, which is why you need to have universal standards. I mean, I've been yeah. saying this for months, long before, um, long before this particular ridiculousness. Um, you know, we, we, we've known for years the, the concern that people have had about Facebook. You know, the the with a lot of these big tech companies, we're giving them our data. So it's not technically free. Our entrance fee is our data. Then they're taking it and they're utilizing it to sell us ads or sell us content or taking our data and selling it to other people. The question is, 
specifically as to Facebook vis-a-vis the Cambridge Analytica and the 2016 campaign when they were embedded within the Trump-Pence campaign, did they uh, get information, data from users, scrape it, um, and um, organize it in such a way that it allowed the campaign to leverage specific messaging at particular types of voters? And did they do all that without telling anybody? I mean, if you're going to tell people this is what we're doing with your information on the front side of the contract, not the back side, you know, not in those terms of service that hardly anybody except geeky lawyers like me actually read, <laughs> then, you know, then that's one thing, but they didn't do that. So I think that, you know, and in terms of where, how it affects the public, a lot of people like to use Facebook and there are a lot of low income people. There are a lot of um, organizers. Look at the red for ed public education um, movement that started among teachers and their, and their sympathizers that started in Facebook groups. So there are, there are enormous forces for good that social media can channel, but, they need to be treated like utilities. They need to be regulated. Uh, even Chris Hughes, the founder of Facebook, a co-founder of Facebook, um, three weeks ago wrote a piece about breaking up Facebook. And the speaker herself last month in an interview with Kara Swisher of Recode yep. talked about that Section 230 of the Communications and Decency Act and said, you know, that's what gives um, these utilities a certain degree of immunity. Maybe that needs to be reconsidered. So I think people need to take hold of their social media graph. And they also need to just say to these companies, look, this is ridiculous. YouTube took that down because it was obviously a fake. It wasn't a parody. It was a weaponized political attack. And certainly, um, you know, when it comes to weaponizing of social media, if they could do it for you, they can do it to you. So they may be doing it for a Republican last week, President Trump, but they could do it to a Republican next week. And that's why everybody should care. Yeah, yeah. I took a spinning class with Kara Swisher uh, the other week, and, I, and let me tell you something. If you ever want to talk tech with someone, Kara, it's it's fascinating to hear her perspective. All right, Christine Pelosi. She is a Democratic political strategist. She is also a California Democratic Party Women's Caucus Chair, DNC Executive Committee member. Nancy Pelosi happens to be speaker. I, I apologize, speaker. Nancy Pelosi <laughs> happens to be her mom. A graduate of Georgetown University of California Hastings College of Law. All right, the future. The future of the Democratic Party, Christine Pelosi, should it go more to the left? Should it go more to the middle? More like AOC or more toward the middle? I mean, what's the what's the future of the Democratic Party? The future of the Democratic Party is here. It's not about going left or right. It's about going deep. It's about being mm. authentic with people. That's really what people care about. Since 2005, I've been on the road. I've written two books um, called Campaign Boot Camp. Campaign Boot Camp. You got to pick it up. Campaign Boot Camp. We train people to run for office and how to organize when they're in office and how to organize nonprofits and and issue campaigns. And we tell them all the time, you have to be clear about your message. Believe in who you are, but also define your work and standard of excellence in a unique way and then live by it. So there are a lot of people, for example, who will say, well, I would never vote for so-and-so because I'd never vote for a Republican or I'd never vote for a Democrat. But then they think, you know what, on this one issue, I like them so much, I'm going to break my own rule. Um, we see more and more independents, especially young people who are moving away from labels. They vote yep. Democratic, but they don't register that way. So I think the future is female. It's, it's browner. It's more diverse. It's more inclusive, and it is very skeptical of any um, 
forced conformity. Words like yeah, uh, you know, words like a party label. It, it people I think are thinking I want to make these decisions for myself. But also, if you look at the people who are really um, attracting a lot of support and public life, are the people who who have a position and they hold it. So. Who's the present and future of the Democratic Party? Well, it's people like Nancy Pelosi that said, we're going to listen to the people. We're going to stand up for protecting our health care. And you know what? Ironically, we we won the House, passed health care, lost the House, and made health care so popular that that's what helped us win the House back once people realized that they were going to Can, lose it. I think the same thing is happening with abortion rights and birth control well, access I'm glad right you brought, now. I, wanna, that's where, I have one more question for you, and I know you've been so generous with your time. Christine Pelosi, California Democratic Party Women's Caucus Chair, DNC Exec Committee member, and her mom is Speaker Nancy Pelosi, also the author of the book's Campaign Boot Camp. But, I, you know, I, I was struck by this because I've been in Washington now for seven-plus years as a political reporter, and I remember... Uh, covering uh, your mom when she gave a speech at Brookings and she talked about her Catholicism and her St. Augustinian Catholicism faith. And it was something that I hadn't heard uh, from from a senior Democratic member, especially at that time when it was so much of the back and forth political nature. So when your mom said last week that she was praying for President Trump, it, it was a it, my ears perked up because it was something that I thought we don't frequently hear right now, at least, uh, many of the Democrats talking about their faith. And I'm curious, you know, I was home in Philly over the weekend where I grew up just outside. And I'm curious, as, as the nation has this debate on cable news about uh, abortion rights, how, how might Democratic leaders communicate like your mom communicate in a way that 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 also takes into account her her faith um and and showing that compassion that that catholicism uh is rooted in compassion uh for these incredibly difficult uh conversations that that have to be had well i think the first thing again as i said initially the future of the party is to go deep be authentic be yourself Whatever your faith or value system is, whether it's you, you, you worship or you, or you ascribe to a certain set of, of morals and ethics that guide you, it's really important for people to know what your moral touchstones are. And I call it your call to service. How is that informed? Is it by faith? Is it by family? Is it by community? Is it by a certain lived experience? But it's really important to talk about it because we want to understand your character and who you are and what, what makes you tick and what you think about when we're not in the room and how you think about us when we're not asking you questions. You know, do you have us in, in your mind and in your heart? So I think that's one. Two, I think that what's really interesting to me, and I, as you mentioned, I chair the Women's Caucus of the California Democratic Party. It's right in our bylaws that we elect pro-choice candidates. But here's the thing. I have people who write to me before every convention, and that includes this one coming up this Saturday, where they know that our theme is choice, but they also they identify um, they identify um, as being uh, they call themselves pro-life. Now, but but here's the difference. They say in my faith, I am against abortion, but I don't think it's the government role to do that, and that is why I pay my dues to your caucus to to elect pro-choice candidates. So I think that when you talk about a choice, there's a strong difference between saying we respect your faith and all the work that comes out of faith-based organizing 
on the one hand, and on the other hand saying your faith as an individual cannot inform what the government allows somebody to do. So, you know, as, as, as we read in the Bible, you render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God's, but it is Caesar's choice and not God's um, when it comes to what laws determine what women can do with their bodies. All right. Christine Pelosi, uh, uh, we very much appreciate your time. Your first time calling into the program. Uh, appreciate your time for coming on Bloomberg, California Democratic Party Women's Caucus Chair, DNC Executive Committee member. And uh, her mom is Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, and she is the author of the book's Campaign Boot Camp. Uh, thank you for, for calling in. Hope everybody had a great three-day weekend. We're making our way into the new week. It's a beautiful, beautiful day here in Washington, D.C. Of course, our thoughts, prayers, and gratitude, gratitude, gratitude to all of these servicemen and women serving in the nation's armed forces and their families and their families and friends for the sacrifices that their families and friends make for their service. Earlier, we had Speaker of the House's daughter, Nancy Pelosi's daughter, Christine Pelosi, who's a Democratic strategist, uh, a top Democratic strategist call in. And Maddie Duppler is a senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union and former coalition's director for the House Republicans Conference. And you were listening. And what did you make of, of what uh, Christine Pelosi had to say. I mean, the Pelosi family is a bunch of savvy politicians. Yes. I do not envy anyone who has to go up against them. But it is it was so interesting to me to hear Christine talk about authenticity, particularly in the wake of President Trump, for whom many voters really felt was their first kind of authentic choice for president. The person who said yeah. what they thought everyone was thinking, but all these politicians who are all buttoned up are always too afraid to say that's what people really like about President Trump. Now, I do think, though, that Democrats are going to have a challenge here because they have such a wide field. You have to stand for something and it can't just be yourself. It mm. has to be a vision for the United States. Telling Americans where we are going and where you're going to take them is crucial for any change in leadership at the federal level. This is part of where Trump was able to really really get to victory was that we had members of Congress, House Republicans who worked on an agenda that showed the American people, listen, you put a Republican in power, here's what you can expect. I was, we're a political policy show, um, but I, I, I truthfully find it interesting what she had to say about faith and how Democrats mm -hmm. can talk about their faith because I think people's faith is incredibly personal mm -hmm. and Speaker Pelosi, I mean, and people might be in their cars rolling their eyes at, at this, but she is a, a Kennedy Catholic and it's someone like former Vice President Biden, if you if you know his his faith is he says is incredibly important to him, um, and and no party should have a monopoly on on faith. Uh, how do you, especially given the backdrop of the contentious the way cable news is acting as a political mm -hmm. referee on these issues mm -hmm. is pathetic. But how do you think um, the I probably went too far with that comment. But how do you think uh, she responded to to talking mm -hmm. about how Democrats might be able to talk about their faith? I, I just think that. It's tough. I think it's tough to be in public life and talk about religion, period, because we now live in a society where there are so many people who are alienated from religion itself. We don't have people, you know, we're coming like Europe, where like people are religious, but they don't go to church at all, right? I mean, like we don't really have these senses of community, and church used to be that. Um, I do think that also the abortion issue is a cleavage point that is not easily overcome by either Democrats or Republicans. And for Democrats, it's that point that you just made about Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi who say that they are practicing Catholics. But they of are. Course, they, they are. I don't mean to be no. glib about that. They no, are. No. But 
the abortion, their abortion position stands in stark contrast to what the church says. Whereas Republicans then on the other side of things, uh, who, especially those who are Catholic, don't feel that they can take in a position that is more accommodative on the policy side because, of course, the church is so distinct on this position. So you that know, the message, to be the people, the people on the pulpit. Sometimes the people in the pews are guiding the people on the pulpit, as it should be. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Maddie. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.